We're five chapters through the book of Ephesians. And and he has reminded us how meeting Jesus changes who we are, our very identity, how we understand ourselves and how we function. It changes our society. It changes our community because now we're the church brought together under his leadership, out of his forgiveness, to live in harmony and unity and purpose and to strive together for the cause of Christ. It's changed every area of our lives. It's changed who we are as husbands and wives. It's changed who we are as children and parents. And today, he even addresses and brings forth the fact that it changes who we are as employees and employers. And so, the application of what it means to know Jesus, the, the, the application of taking God's word and applying it into our workforce is because we've met Jesus. And so once again, I've given this kind of clause the last couple of weeks. Once again, these things are good things. You could apply this in any secular setting, any posting on any social media. It's good things to do, things your employer would appreciate, things your employees would appreciate. But again, in reality, to do it fully, the way Paul intends and the way Scripture's inspiring us and teaching us, you have to know Jesus. You have to have that relationship. You have to have trusted him to understand the word and to apply the word into our lives every day means just like the baptisms we saw this morning, we make a decision to trust and say, yes, Jesus, yes, I will follow you. And I will follow you actually out of the church and into work this week, into school this week, into our families, into the everyday activities of our lives. And that's where we start in verse five of chapter six. Ephesians chapter six, verse five. Let me read the context to you. It's gonna, it's gonna sound like a, just good advice because it is that. The one part you're going to get a little confused on at first is the reference to slaves and masters. Give me 30 seconds and I'll do a quick explanation. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work while only being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. There is no favoritism with God. He loves each of us individually, comprehensively, and there isn't that playing back and forth and vying back and forth for his intention. Now, one very quick explanation you need, um, and I can't go into the detail just simply because of the time, although there are dozens of scholarly works about the first century. In the first century AD, in the province of Rome, which you have to remember in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is writing from Rome where he is in prison. He is under house arrest. He's literally chained to a Roman guard. He's writing from Rome to the church in Ephesus, which is a province of Rome, and unlike our society today, over 80% of the first century AD Roman provinces are indentured. It was their economy, it was their method of accomplishing and bringing about productivity. 
That doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it in any way somehow acceptable. And unfortunately, these verses have historically been taken out of context to try to justify something that is nothing but abhorrent and and horrific. There's nothing in scripture that actually indicates that there's ever a moment that a human should own another human. None whatsoever. You cannot justify that. So the first thing you need to know is this is common enterprise in Paul's generation. And we have to do this all the time with scripture. Every time we study scripture, we have to be able to make the jump. We have to be able to go see what it was in Paul's context and then understand what it means in our context because we live in Western civilization. We have lived through the abolishing of slavery. We have lived through the horrors of it. We have dealt with it. We have addressed with it. But yet today, overwhelmingly 80% of this century's population in Western civilization will go to work tomorrow. Not because we're slaves, not because we're indentured because of our debt or because we were taken prisoner of war or we were sold in some process, not because of those issues, but because that's how we live and move and work and become productive and are an efficient and meaningful part of society. Wow, you're welcome to continue to read it literally, slaves obey your masters. You may more appropriately move it to the, this, this century and recognize that he would apply that today if writing today, employees obey your bosses, your supervisors, your managers, those who are in authority. Because authority does exist and it exists properly. It has existed improperly throughout history, but we don't have the time to address all of that in this moment. And so to pull the principles We have to understand then, okay, if I have to work tomorrow, which I do have to work tomorrow, I have a job, I receive compensation for that, it may feel at times like indenturement, but it's not, we have the free choice to do that. What are the characteristics, what are the things that the Apostle Paul's writing about in this passage of scripture that distinguish me from my secular friends? How will my boss, how will my teacher or my principal, how, how will my employer, how will my supervisor, how will my manager, how will those who work with me, how will the rest of my family function if that's my vocational choice to be with them and work in them and educate them? Whatever vocational choice I make, how will it be uniquely Christian? And the first principle that is actually in everything I'm about to say quickly is the simple principle of whatever we do in life, do it as if we're doing it for Jesus himself. Capture the thought. Paul would write it to the church of Corinth and he would tell them, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So regardless of occupations of vocations like we just saw in the, in the video a moment ago in the bumper, regardless of what our occupation is, regardless of what our vocation is, what, regardless of what track we're on, what grade we're in, where we are in that process, regardless of what labor we are a part of tomorrow, do it for the glory of God. 
And in Ephesians, you will see Paul repeatedly over and over again saying, do this as you would for Christ. Do this as you would for Christ. Do it as slaves of Christ. Do it as those under his authority. Do it as a part of God's will. Do it as to the Lord. We're understanding that we ultimately receive, excuse me, we ultimately receive back from the Lord. We live our lives and this is the theme of the whole book of Ephesians. We live our lives in an understanding of who we are in Christ. I'm a husband in Christ. I'm a father in Christ. I'm a child in Christ. I am a student in Christ. I am a worker in Christ. I am an employee in Christ. I am an employer in Christ. I am a manager or a supervisor in Christ. Live my life so that Jesus is the priority and the evident priority in all that I do. That's the basic theme Paul wants us to grasp. But he gets real specific. And I, as I said, there's eight of these. But they're relatively simple. If you can kind of get past the slavery issue um, and get past what has been our particular American heritage and the horrific nature of it to understand, no, we're still in positions where we're under authority and look at the principles of how I'd live under that authority in such a way that it glorifies God, then we'll get somewhere today. Simple, be respectful. Verse five, Obey your human masters with fear and trembling. And here's that phrase towards the end of that verse, as you would Christ. Just simply be respectful. Our relationship with Christ redefines authority for us. Most of us, particularly because we're in Western civilization, most of us grew up with both a semi-ingrained, almost instinctual rebellion against any kind of authority But we have taken that, particularly in our society, in our civilization, in our culture, we have taken that natural tendency to rebel against authority to a whole new level where we literally constantly attack, question, do all we can to cancel authority. When the reality is God put authority in the world order. You will either have authority characterized in a secular fashion, inappropriate and out of balance, or you will have authority characterized from the position and perspective of God as creator, Christ as redeemer, as savior, in which case it works and functions and it works and it functions the way it's supposed to. One leads to complete anarchy, one leads to complete chaos, the other leads to an order that isn't of itself both creative like God and productive like God. It seems like a short work week, it does to a pastor at least, that God created everything in six days and then rested. But it actually makes sense, there's an order to it. And if God had chose for all seven days to simply rest, then nothing we love would be here, including ourselves. He worked, God worked. And so we need to discharge ourselves, remove ourselves from culture and say, work is good. Work's something that we should be a part of. It should never be exalted. It should never be, it should never be enabled that not working is in some form or fashion 
appropriate for the Christian. Christians work. Christians serve. So we need to be respectful. We don't always agree with everything that happens. We don't always agree with everything that we're told. We don't always agree with all authority and all circumstances. But we can still be respectful. I mean, let's be honest. If we were completely candid, we don't always agree with everything God tells us. But most of us out of our faith have developed enough fear and respect for God to still be respectful, even though we don't necessarily understand and we don't necessarily comprehend or process. Be respectful as you would to the Lord. That fear and trembling is a response to the majesty of God and his order, not a response to the person or the damage that they may or may not cause. Be respectful. Work wholeheartedly. Obey your human masters in sincerity of heart, he says in verse five, as you would Christ. Just simply put your whole heart into it. We, we talk about, we use that phrase so much. When you meet Jesus, we talk about giving your heart to Jesus. We talk about asking Jesus to live in your heart. Because we want Jesus to take over the entire nature and being of who we are. Which means when I walk out in the morning, I, I am walking out in Christ, I am living in Christ, I have a relationship within Christ, but I don't turn it off in certain segments or certain places or certain moments in my life. I don't walk out of my house a godly husband because I've just been nice to my wife and then get to the office and become an ungodly employer. I know, some of you are thinking, but yeah, but you're the pastor, so of course you're nice when you get to the office. Honestly, I'm nicer at the office sometimes than I am at home. You all can pray for Carrie. I struggle with it there sometimes. It's just hard. I am in Christ wherever I'm at. And so give it my whole heart. I made the decision to fully and completely surrender to Jesus. And now I'm going to say, okay, I surrender to you, Jesus. It's great. You handle things at church. I'm going to handle things at school tomorrow. I'll take care of it. I'll decide what I want to listen to, what I don't want to listen to. I'll decide how I behave, how I don't behave. I'll decide what are the main sources of influencers in my life. I can take care of this part, God. And the sad truth is, and we all know this, we can't. (laughs) We're not that great at managing our lives. Submit to Christ, which means we give our whole heart to it. We show up tomorrow morning, and I'm using tomorrow morning as just an example. The truth is, some are working this afternoon. Many of us are working this afternoon. Uh, You know, it just continues. It doesn't matter when the time frame is. When we do it, do it with our whole heart. Be respectful, be wholehearted. Be conscientious. Don't work, he says in verse six, only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing God's will from your heart. We all live with that dichotomy of being aware of who's watching and modifying our behavior based on who's watching. Now Paul's going to turn this on us and say, look, Christ is always watching. There's no free pass, there's no free God, no God zone. Like I I I can go about my activities, I can go to work. And God's not there. It may feel that way sometimes at work because it's work. But that's not the perspective. God's always watching. So if my supervisor's not watching, if my manager's not watching, if my teacher's not watching, it doesn't mean somehow I'm free because I'm not being watched. 
conscientiousness realizes I'm here to do this for the cause of Christ, to glorify Jesus. And it, and it doesn't matter who's watching because I'm, I'm not, they're not my goal. I'm not trying to please them. I am trying to live my life for Jesus, not for the crowd. And in that sense, it makes it easy to be a part of verse seven. Just simply be agreeable. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. Our, our attitude makes such a huge difference. And there's been so many studies on this sociologically over the years, but it, here's the truth of the Apostle Paul in the first century just simply saying, you know, just have a good attitude. I mean, we'll join in with gripers because it's our natural instinct to complain. But the truth is nobody likes it. I mean, if you wake up one morning and you realize you don't have any friends, you might examine your last conversations and you might take a look at your last post. Nobody wants to be around somebody who complains all the time. That's the hardest part. But as husbands and wives, I mean, I don't think I'm the only one. It's tough. Part of the reason I have struggle at home more than I do at the office is I'm not where I'm being watched and evaluated. I'm suddenly in this free moment, and the person who loves me the most unconditionally of anybody in the world gets the brunt. Well, this happened today, and this person said this, and on and on and on and on. Just have a good attitude. Amen. Did y'all hear Sam? He totally agrees with me. He, he's absolutely there. Just have a good attitude. It's actually not that hard. I actually think if you work at it, it's a little bit easier than actually being in a bad mood all the time. And then understand, we are compensated for these activities. But we're compensated in a way that doesn't match up with our economy and our perspective especially if we're trying to be a people pleaser um, and we're not putting our whole heart into it. He says in verse eight, knowing that whatever good each one does, in other words, when you have this good attitude, when you're agreeable, you're conscientious, you're putting your whole heart into it, you've been respectful, all these things have taken place and now something's being accomplished. Paul says, knowing, knowing that whatever good you've actually done, regardless of where you fall on the scale of authority, you will receive back from the Lord. You will receive back from the Lord. How many of us, our work and our compensation boils down to an accounting statement and a simple edit into our ledgers that shows a positive balance at least for the first few hours. I think the saddest treadmill any of us can be on is living for a paycheck. And Paul recognizes that, and in this case, because of first century slavery, he recognizes they're not just living for a paycheck. It's not just simply their sustenance. It is an obligation because of their circumstance that they might not even get to make that credit to the ledger. But he reminds us no matter how small it is, no matter how insufficient it seems, whatever our worldly secular compensation is, God himself is going to compensate us. He, referring to Christ, 
He, he is referring to us as he will receive back from the Lord, referring to Christ. God cares about your work. And God cares and he knows. Which is why over and over again, there are more scriptures in the Bible that talk about money and resources and the management of the things God gives us, whether it's through our job or whether it's through a gift or through an inheritance, however we go about getting it, there's more scriptures that tell us how to manage that and how to steward that than there are any other topic in the scriptures. And fortunately, and I'm thankful for this, a good majority of them constantly remind us that regardless of where we are financially, Christ will provide. And those of us who have a little more tenure in this Christian walk can tell you, over and over and over again, we've seen that. And it's an adventure. Jesus is the one who's going to compensate us. We live, Paul told us in chapter one, live with a perspective that anticipates eternity. Look forward to heaven and what's lying ahead. Jesus will take care of us. The apostle Paul, in his last words, would write to his protege Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have run the race. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. Now, employers and managers, that does not mean in any stretch of imagination we are off the hook. We still need compensation here. There is absolutely nothing wrong, even in ministry and church. It's a blessing for this church to give to employees who have anniversaries, bonuses like we did Cody. We've had three major five-year increments this summer, Julie um, and then Cody and then Christy. We gave them all compensation, remuneration, money, cash, because everybody deserves it and needs it and they work for it and they should receive that kind of compensation. So, so managers, if you're with us, understand this is not an excuse to cheat your employees. In fact, Paul says treat them in the exact same way as you would treat yourself. The apostle Paul takes Jesus's golden rule from the book of Matthew and applies it to managers and supervisors and owners. And masters, in verse nine, treat your slaves in the same way. Treat them in the, in the same way without threatening them and because you know that Christ is both their master and your master, which is a revolutionary thought I don't have time to go into. It is a revolutionary thought that Paul would write to a church in the middle of the Roman province and say, guess what? Jesus is the ultimate master. Whatever your social position is, doesn't matter because God doesn't show favoritism. Treat your employees the same way you want to be treated because they're watching. They're watching how you treat them and they're watching how other people treat them. I mean, how many times have you gone to Bucky's lately? Out there on the gas tank, right there next to the gas tank, there's a sign that tells me exactly how much money I could make working for Bucky's. And I always get back in the truck and I look at Carrie as she's sipping her iced tea and say, I'm called to be a pastor. <laughs> but if I ever change, management at Bucky seems like a good observation. Treat your employees with respect. Treat them in an inoffensive way. You don't need to threaten them. In verse nine, treat your slaves without threatening them. I don't know where we got this idea that somehow authority had to be me. When you look at God, Authority is clearly benevolent. 
He always is doing for us what we don't deserve. He is always compensating for us for things we didn't earn. He is always loving us, and he's always not giving us what we do deserve, which is the very definition of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Let's treat our employees mutually. Let's treat them in an inoffensive fashion. Wouldn't it be great if people looked forward to going to work because their boss was a Christian who lived out Christian values over corporate or government values? Do it in an inoffensive way. And then this is probably one of the most important things we'll look at. We're all answerable. He says in verse nine, the reason you're going to do this as a master is because you, you know that both your master and yours, slave or free, doesn't make any difference, all of us are accountable to heaven. And he's not gonna show favoritism. He's going to love us equally. He's going to accept us equally. And he's created a place for us equally. These distinctions the distinctions between slaves and masters in the first century Roman era, those were temporary. The Roman Empire is dust today. You can find remnants of it in museums, but it doesn't exist any longer. Everything in this world not created by God has a shelf life. Except us. Because God chose for us to be eternal beings. And when we trust him, we determine where that eternity takes us into his presence. And there he rewards us. Paul said, I am looking forward to, I have finished this. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. And it's not because Paul was a super apostle. Because he goes on and says in the rest of that verse, not only for me, but for all who have longed for the appearing of Christ. All of us. Heaven's coming. And it's going to be great. And so don't live like we're unaccountable today because we aren't. He's watching. He's evaluating. And the analysis is there to appropriately compensate us and enjoy heaven. I don't know where this takes you. Our band's coming back. We're going to worship. and We're going to close out the service. But I don't know what it did for me over the last several weeks studying this and thinking through all this and processing it. It made me just realize that a very simple way, I want everything I do to reflect Jesus. I want all of my life, every aspect of my life, just like we've studied over all these weeks, I want everything and every part of who I am, who I am as a husband, who I am as a dad, who I am as a child of my parents, who I am as a coworker, who I am as an employer, I want every single part of my life to reflect those first two chapters we studied, that I am in Jesus. I am first and foremost a follower of of Jesus. I am a Christian, not because I attend church, but because I have yielded, ironically, much like the first century, I have given full authority of my life over to Jesus. I said, take all of me. I am yours. I contracted, in a sense, with God to be completely and fully his. 
I've never regretted it. And I can't even imagine a day or, or possibly even contemplate a day where I would regret it. And so I can say today, if today is the first day you make that decision to trust Christ fully and completely, it will change everything, including your work. Everything. And you'll never want to look back. Trust Jesus first and foremost. And then let him make these changes in our lives in every way.